And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Happy New Year to you all and welcome to the 56th edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Michael Bailey, I hope you had a brilliant Christmas and New Year period and that this podcast finds you safe and well. On the way, things to do at the halfway house Kieran Scott's recruitment plan and all those bits we don't want to talk about. We will work through all of that and more with our first guests of 2021, who are former Norwich City press officer Ben Mounser. Hello, Michael. And making his on-the-ball debut, renowned and retired Fleet Street football journalist Mick Dennis. I haven't got a posh microphone, though. I hope you... Oh, don't do that. Don't do it. It doesn't work without video. (laughs) Um, that's a good start, isn't it? Uh, thank you for joining us, guys. Lovely to have you all here, all of you out there listening. Um, how are we, Ben? How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you both as well. I'm good, thank you. I'm just, when you said the 56th episode there, Michael, that shocked me. 56 episodes of this. I can't believe we've managed to managed to do that. That's pretty pretty good effort, isn't it? It's, it's not bad. And, and no one's told us to can it yet. So other than <laughs> shut up, obviously, we've had that a few times. But uh, long may we, we continue. I think I was off when we hit the half century. So uh, completely excellent, but you know, Steve <laughs> took us through as, as was fitting. Um, Mick, welcome. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Yeah, we're good. We're, we're a long way from Norwich and um, so miss that as well as missing the football. But um, my wife, Sarah, is a, a you know, long-term Norwich fan as well. And um, we're buoyed by the football. The football, uh, which we watch in this room, my, my little study, uh, is uh, is lifting our spirits and and uh, my my sort of motto for 2021 is going up and going to games. If we could achieve both of those, nothing else matters. Well, here, here, and fingers crossed, indeed. And in fact, Mick was telling us before we started recording how uh, he and Sarah both stand up and applaud the team, which I, I oh, yeah, standing up actually here. I still think there's a there's a, a rival to TNC's watch along in that for you, Mick. But I'll leave you to process that idea. Um, uh, and we love what TNC are doing, by the way, with those. Sarah, uh, that I, sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, let's crack on, shall we, with this week's headline act. It's been three weeks since we last recorded this podcast, which is a long time. There's been a lot of football played since then. Uh, Rather than than go through all that has taken place, let's reflect on the fact Norwich uh, are, after 23 games, the championship halfway point, top of the pile. Now, at this point, may I suggest you all go out and read uh, on The Athletic, my piece reflecting on the current situation and what history tells us about it. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up for all our content right now for the special price of under £4 per month. Just visit theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod to get that offer. Um, Ultimately, Norwich are in a good place. So it's just the same again, isn't it, Ben? (laughs) Do it again. Yeah, let's just do it again, shall we? Yeah. No, definitely. Um, Yeah, I I think that's kind of the overriding feeling for most people at the moment is that, you know, analysing the season, I think there are certain things that we can still improve and I'm sure we'll get onto those later, but really the key point for Norwich this year is that we're getting the job done and we're in this position halfway through. By the way, how is it halfway through the season already? I mean, how does the other way is the first game <laughs> seems mm-hmm. seems like yesterday and I'm sure no one has felt that more than you, Michael, with them, your various travels around the country. But yeah, it's, um, I think the win over, win over Barnsley at the weekend was, was really important, not just to give us a, a positive finish to the festive period, um, but also to give us that momentum because we know that once this Norwich team start winning matches, it becomes a habit for them. And I think we saw at the start of the season where a few results weren't going away and then we picked up a, a scrappy win and we went on to, went on to, to win a number of um, um, subsequent matches. So I think the Barnsley win was big. We can now look forward to the second half of the season with a lot of optimism, I think. Um, although obviously it is January. 
it is we know what that means january we're not talking about that yet um no, yet. although we are going to be talking about it very soon um 13 of the last 16 leaders at halfway mick have uh, have gone on to be promoted uh, the three that yeah. didn't um lost out in the playoff semi-finals um two yeah, of them I mean, hull. <laughs> i'm sure at the start of the season we'd have all taken that i, I think that um uh, win the win at Bristol City and and the important win at Cardiff. I think there were glimpses there of, of a very good Norwich team. Uh, clearly, you know we're top of the table. Um, we do you do for sort of feel that they've they've edged their way through some games. And the natural response as a football fan is to sort of see the worst. Whereas you could you could take that as a positive, of course, that they're grinding out results. But I think that the winning. Winning and losing, both gather momentum. As Ben was talking about, the winning momentum, that that's true. So, um, I think that uh, you could look at it two ways. I think the second half of the season, either we, because we've had some sort of fragile, edgy wins, that some of those will start to go the other way, or that we we have another gear to find, and that um, Daniel Farker, who is a, a proven coach of individuals as well as a team, improves individuals. We'll we'll um, nudge more out of some players, and that we'll we'll be better still. And I, I'd like to think the second of those two. I don't know how you guys. Um, I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I get as much satisfaction out of grinding out <laughs> victories, <laughs> almost as much as I did from watching the team of two seasons ago um, playing the kind of football. Because we ha- we obviously haven't kind of hit those kind of am- amazing heights of that season in terms of the style and the the verve that we were playing with, but. I think we also have to recognise that, that that was kind of extraordinary. This is this is proper championship fair, isn't it? And I think I get a lot of satisfaction from seeing a team that is robust defensively and is able to win 14 of their first 23 matches without ever really, I feel, hitting the kind of full full potential. Um, and that's what that's what's exciting about the second half of the season. Yeah, I think the defending's been a, a, an upgrade for, for a number of reasons. You know, I, mean, the, the, I think Gibson was a terrific signing. And Skip is a terrific signing, and, and you know, so they've been real upgrades, I think. Um, and they've worked on things, they worked on, on what to do at, at corners, for instance, clearly worked, you know, they always were, but they've certainly got it much better now. Um, and I agree, it was lovely to, lovely to see, lovely to see that. Um, and uh, all I would say is that when we're not at games and we're sitting in this little room, um, and there's no, there's no one other than my wife in here. It is absolute agony when we're <laughs> clinging on to things, you know. And I, I always think that um, I can remember seeing Roger Mumby when he was chairman the end of one season when there was, I think it was an Elton John concert, and I, and I parked my car near him in the, you know, and and said, oh hello, hello chairman, and he said, oh, I said, isn't it a delight to come here, not eaten up with anxiety, you know. So it's it's dreadful when we're winning a lot or losing a lot, you know. There's a lot to be said for mundanity, but and we're not getting any of that this season. That's no, true. Um, oh, the joys of football being absolutely <laughs> riddled with anxiety. Um, yes. I, I mean. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, actually, and why I really enjoyed having a proper reflective look at it. Uh, Daniel Farker said at one point it was Norwich, it's been probably Norwich's best first half of the season um, ever, uh, which is it, not entirely true, but it's you know not 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 too too badly off, I, I suppose. In your piece, were you came to the conclusion it was the best in in the Premier League years, didn't you? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, it's equal. It's equal like, score, yeah, yeah, equal score. Even yeah, even in points per game on the season in ninety two three where they uh, finished. So uh, you know, Daniel Farkas managed it twice. <laughs> so he, he he no wonder he's bringing that up. Um, but I thought it was interesting analysing it because a lot of people still feel Norwich a little bit vulnerable defensively, even though they have probably improved. I think looking at the last sixteen years of Championship leaders at this point, actually defensive record sort of middling really it, it, it's kind of where you'd expect it what's stark is that they could by some distance scored fewer goals than anyone else leading the championship at this point by a number and actually the ones who have scored only maybe a few well you know the one the, the other lower uh, scorers at this point who've led the division are the ones who've gone on to struggle in the second half of the year now Norwich are creating a huge amount of chances. They're taking a lot of shots, so they're not sure. There's a huge disparity between the chances they're creating and what they're actually doing with them. Um, so it's nice to see some numbers that kind of put that into uh, into 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 sort of uh, uh, into a visual, really. Because ultimately, as it was against Barnsley and several times over Christmas, Ben you know, Norwich had the chances to have won this game by two or three goals and probably should have done. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, we would like to have scored more goals and with the attacking talent that we have, we probably should have scored more goals. But I think this isn't necessarily a Norwich City problem. It's an interesting championship as a whole observation. There are a lot fewer goals in the championship this season than there have been in seasons past. I was, I was looking at some numbers here and there are um, only five teams who are averaging more than two and a half goals in their games and that's total goals, not for, not for them. And, and last year, total for the last season, it was 15. So there are just a lot, f- there are you know fewer goals in the championship generally. Um, this season and ultimately you only have to score more than the opposition right and Norwich have, have proven that old adage um, this season I think the top scorers of Blackburn have only got 38 which is seven more than Norwich Swansea who are second have scored fewer than Norwich so maybe goals aren't the ultimate currency this season it's about being solid so th- thank goodness Daniel Farker set about at the start of this season to concede fewer than one goal a game because that really seems to be the, the quality that is ensuring our um, position in the league at the moment and I have to, I have to say, Mick, I've, I've had this. In, I don't know what you'd feel about this, but I've had this sort of internal battle with myself all this season because last year I was very conscious of not giving them too easy a ride. I, I know how bad it was, but it didn't want it just to be a, a fait accompli, really. And then you, you you get into this season, and I did want to say I want you to do really well, Norwich, but I, I am also going to be looking at this bar of continual improvement and you being in a better position when you get promoted again, if you get promoted again, and you know almost wanting to see signs of that this year, which I think as the season's gone on, it's been harder to go. Look, you have to take one step at a time, obviously. But you know, that is kind of the deal, isn't it, really? if it, Regardless of how well Norwich do this year, brutally speaking, yeah, it would still be a case of what have you got next year? Well, that's true. But, you know, there's another ingredient that we've never had to consider before, and that's a global pandemic. And, and how is our club dealing, has our club dealt with that? And how will our club come out of it? Because, you know, other clubs are, are not dealing, haven't dealt with it as well. Down the down the football pyramid, you know, it's desperate stuff. And, and um, one of the clubs sort of nearer to where I live, Barnet, I know a little bit about them and they're, they're in serious peril because their business model, can't blame them for this, you know, they've got, they've got a nice event hall and their business model was, was staging, um, you know, big Asian community weddings with thousands of people there and they, and they got huge sums of money for that and that's that stopped in March. And so, you know, that's a, that's a absolutely sort of outrider example. But so when, when we're assessing of where Norwich are, I think we have to take into account you know, they, and they did, they weren't frugal last season because they saw a pandemic coming or anything like that. But but they have a you know they have a, a, a rock solid business model, and they have I, I think um, the, the sort of Politburo of three who are effectively running the club are, are doing an extraordinarily good job of of running all the model you know all the all the financial models and and being prepared a little bit like we do recruitment. You know, I mean, it isn't it isn't um, Oh my goodness, that's happened. What should we do about it? it, it you know, every every scenario is is seen for. So, in football terms, I absolutely agree with you. We, it, first of all, we've got to go up, and we've got to we've got to make a better stab of it next season, and or, or be in a position where it looks like we're able to do that. Um, but overall, you know, in the context of where our club sits in the world and and in the football in this country, I think that, that uh, we have weathered and are still dealing with un- an unprecedented thing. We've got Brexit to deal with. I'm sure we're going to come on to, on to that because... because um, I'll put people great, off. Well, no, but your great piece on, Michael, with how our recruitment will have to change. Um, but, but you know, that it, we're not suddenly thinking about what we're going to do about it. They've been planning for this, as you know, setting up scouting and network in, in, in South America because that might be a more pros- profitable market now. Um, so I, I just think... It's football, you know, and anything can happen. But I think, I'd going to say that of all the time I've known them, I think probably in terms of um, strategising for the future, we're doing as well as I've ever seen the club. I remember going through years and years where Norwich were looking to adopt the model of X club. Absolutely. Actually, they've probably got to the point now where there are a lot of other clubs who should be looking at Norwich and maybe learning a thing or two um takes us on nicely to the chat we'll have a bit later but just uh, reflecting on uh, a couple of points i wanted to mention two key men were mentioned in my piece in terms of norwich's halfway stage um tim quill keeps a clean sheet norwich have conceded 60 percent of their goals i think it is when in just the nine games he wasn't playing that's all i'm going to say on that um and uh, the other key man 
just really don't want to mention his name. Mm. Um, but we probably will later. Um, and uh, I just just to point out, I got I, I did post a picture of the top of the championship table with a with a line on Twitter. This was just saying, really early days, but it, you just slightly see that maybe there's a four now vying for the top two. Uh, I had a reply from someone saying, "Take your blinkers off." Uh, I had a little look, and they were a Reading fan. So potentially that that's that's understandable. And we are obviously, as was mentioned, as the caveat in the tweet, you know, very early days. That's the point of the caveat. But um, obviously, games in hand. But it, uh, am am I wrong? Does it look like maybe it's probably Norwich, Swansea, Bournemouth, and Brentford now, and, and then maybe see what Watford do with their game in hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think. Um... And it's not just looking at the league table and coming to that conclusion. It's it's looking at how those teams are set up, how they play, the match, the matches, and the results that they've had. You know, it's a combination of things. Obviously, the reason why you came to that conclusion. But yeah, I do think there is a outside of those teams, there is a dearth of of quality in this year's championship. And for that reason, I think, given what Mick just said about how the club is set up and how how strong how strong we're looking going into twenty twenty one, I think it would be a real disappointment if we didn't finish at least in that top four. I don't want to say top two, but um, at least kind of a, a really strong finish at the top end of the table. Yeah, go I on, man. No, well, I remember our conversation on a pod before the season when you, you were very much like, we need, we should, we, we must finish in the top one. Canary, Canary Cast <laughs> podcast asked me for my prediction and I said they should win it with, with literally everything yeah, yeah. Nick said, which we could see what they were coming up against in a championship that was trying to really find its feet and survive and Norwich's squad. Um, so yeah, and I haven't really changed my mind. Although they did send Beg, they did sell Ben Godfrey after I said that. So, what for the club nearest where I sit today? And and uh, if I look out at my street, you know, there there I have not Watford supporting neighbours, and and um, Watford have shown their model um, very recently by sacking the manager again, which is it seems to work overall. You'd have to say, but but so. You know, you're never quite sure how Norwich are going to, how Watford are going to go. I think, I think they, they've got a very difficult transfer window uh, coming up. There, people are eyeing one or two of their players, and and, and the the biggest uh, problem for Watford is that they've they've been a Troy Dealey. Troy Dealey has been so totemic for them. He, he, you know, the only he's been their Grant Holt in that he led from the front with his chest out and battering centre halves and and. Um, uh, and he's not that person anymore. And you just, you just really don't understand unless you, you know, I mean, I, I see a lot of Watford stuff, I have a lot of Watford conversations because of where I am. And, and the impact he's had on the pitch and in the dressing room, which is on the wane now, may, may be something they cannot compensate for. On the flip side, I do think Watford are the only team really in the Championship who could rival Norwich for, for quality and depth in sure. terms of their squad. So I, I do think if it can click under the new manager, then they, they could potentially... Um, manager, of the week, the top two. <laughs> manager of the week. Manager of the week. I mean, I do, I do feel the three relegated sides are, are, are of a clear quality better than anyone else, possibly with Brentford bridging the gap. Um, but other than that, I, I, I do think there is a stark difference in the championship, just like there is Premier League football, by the way. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think we're going to move on to uh, things we are not going to talk about. Uh, yes, these are the things that have happened and deserve acknowledgement, but we are only going to acknowledge them by stating how we are not going to talk about them. I hope that makes sense. Um, also, we only have about three minutes to do it. Uh, Producer Tom, please cue up the dramatic music. This is what we're not going to talk about uh, this week. Um, gentlemen, please throw yours at me too. Um, 
Emi Buendia. Oh, there you go. I've said his name now. I mean, just obviously he's very good at football. I think we all know that. He's not going to Arsenal because they can't afford him. Can we just make that the last mention of it? As soon as you start suggesting you're going to swap or, or agents start suggesting you're going to swap. I mean, what that says, yeah, we haven't got enough money, mate. Sorry about that. I'm not going to talk about that. Ben, anything you don't want to talk about? Uh, I wouldn't be so sure that we're not going to sell him, but I, I, I do. I do believe we'll keep hold of him this January. But the, the way he's there. playing at the there moment, you go. Just, just no, no, yeah, no. But he will leave Norwich City eventually, Michael. I think we have to come oh, to yeah, terms with that, and that, that, that will happen sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm not going to talk anymore. Let's move on. <laughs> what, in general, <laughs> make the podcast yeah, quick. That's me done. Bye, um, uh, Sebastian Soto. Uh, I've, I've tweeted about it um, he, he'll come back if they can get a, a GBE or basically a work permit sorted and then loan him to England because Daniel Farquhar hasn't had a look at him yet but um, he's not going to come and sort out the first team this season so I uh, won't talk about that I was going to not talk about Ben Gibson as well uh, Mick but you've already mentioned him so that's good <laughs> anything you don't want to talk about? Yeah I don't want to talk about the standard of refereeing because you know it's my, it's my pet subject and, and because we um, because Todd's goal was uh, uh, wrongly ruled out not by the referee, of course, but by a linesman, and I understand how that happens. Um, assistant referee, um, people are saying the usual thing: this is the worst, worst referee I've ever seen in the standard. Of and I and I've done some research this week, and fifth, the first time that phrase was used, the worst referee I've ever seen, was 1581, when uh, in a street game. Uh, <laughs> this is the, the, this is a lot of first, talk. A lot of yes. talking about something you don't want to talk about, Mick. Yeah, so I won't talk about it. <laughs> and I have to say, I actually had to read through all the offside rules and just double, double check about what the actual. And, and um, am, am I right in am I right in thinking that the linesman thought that either thought Todd was offside when Tamu played it across to him, but he wasn't. This is the QPR game, I think. By the way, yeah. one. Or, or did he think that because Todd did he think Todd was actually became active because he was passed to him because he was offside initially no he can't he can't be the second cannot be the case so when yes. the ball is played through todd cannot be and todd is not interfering with play and he can only gain an advantage from from being you know the, the he could be uh, commit an offense if he were gaining an advantage from being offside but yeah. the only specifically that is about if i shoot and it comes off the goalkeeper or the post or a defender and you're the, you're the Player who was in the offside position—that's the only gaining advantage. So, so, so the assistant who must have been level with the uh, left back on on the on Todd's right mm. just thought he just thought he looked up and and uh, made a human error. That's all. Yeah. Thought he was thought that when the ball was played, he was in front of it. It was just a bad decision. So there we <laughs> yeah, go. Bad um, a bad decision. We don't lost. There's we definitely go our way this season. It's definitely a new athletic podcast. Obviously, they need more. So, um, I'm, with, you, with you two talking about referees, because I feel Ref- like you're on different Ref- sides of the fence of the referees. Because I know, I know, Michael, you 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 do like kind of critiquing a referee's performance. I'm sure you've got a little black notepad somewhere well, we- with all of their names in and all of their performances. But, is, but isn't it interesting? To, you know, you know, I'm your biggest fan. But isn't it interesting to be sure you have to look up the offside law? Yeah. Well, look, we've gone over our three minutes here, so this is over. Oh and, and to be honest, me and me and you, Mick, we used to have loads of Twitter conversations about refereeing, and, and sure. I have to say, uh, over recent years, have really, really tried not to not to go into decision. I, I know, and I'm aware that I've maybe let myself down in recent weeks. I don't know why, but it just sort of. So I really try not to say anything because actually, in real time, you. And again, this emphasizes how difficult a referee's job is. In real time, it's difficult to judge, especially when you're 50 yards away. So I do try and at least see it a couple of times before I make a comment because people who share a press box in, with me will regularly know I see something and go, what and was that? Which I'm not supposed to say. And, and bark something like, that's never a booking or why is he not booked in there? And then you see a replay and go, oh yeah, no, it wasn't a booking. That, so, that happens very, very quickly, the thing we're not talking about. That, that happens, what, when, when once um, monitors were introduced to press boxes, you would see everyone say, what's happened? And look at it. And then once you've seen it, it's absolutely obvious to you. And so you say, why didn't the ref see that? I'm not understanding yeah. that you waited, you yourself, not you, but everyone, has waited and looked for a replay before making a decision. Anyway, let's not talk about it. No, we're not. We're not talking about that. Oh, that is why VAR frustrates me so much because it it should they should be able to get it. They should be able to get it right. Oh, it's my notification going off. They should be able to get it right, but they haven't. Um, 
and that's more of an issue. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Mick. I did have to check through because the active player and guidance on an offside, I know changes. So I just wanted to be definitely crystal clear on what it and what it was. But um, that bit hasn't changed since since before 2000. Oh, so stop let's, correcting let's me, Mick. Talk about it. <laughs> stop correcting me. Right. Um, oh, it's just like our Twitter debates. Um, <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, the other things we weren't going to talk about. Um, uh, Valerian Ismail being um, apparently a, a decent manager with what he's doing at Barnsley I was really impressed with them mm. I, I did know and, and the next Norwich manager as you said in your video well, <laughs> I'm I, like and Mick I don't know it, it, just the fact that him and Daniel Farker decided to have a big conversation in the centre circle and I love the way that, that the way they played and there's just a lot that you sort of think oh, okay but you know hey that's, might as well dream or not I do think that, I do think their style was, was pretty different though to Norwich's well, a lot more, to be honest, probably a lot more like Klopp in terms of how energetic yeah, yeah. they were, the, the ridiculousness of the high line. And, you know, it was, it was sort of full pelt. But once you broke through the press, there were massive gaps. So, um, yeah, Norwich are much... Uh, I, you know what? I watched Man City last night against Chelsea, who were, they were phenomenal, by the way. And you just like, God, you know, Daniel would love to take them to that level. The problem is he needs about £6 billion pounds to achieve it. Um, here's a question for you, Michael. Does, does will uh, Brexit and... Um, end of freedom of movement mean we can't just hire a, a German coach from the Bundesliga fourth division. Well, it's a great question. I'll tell you what, it brings us on to our centrefold. Well done, Mick. Done like a true <laughs> pro. Um, yeah, this is the point I'm flagging up my interview. It was published on Boxing Day on The Athletic, so you may well have missed it. It was with Norwich City Head of Recruitment, Kieran Scott. Again, if you've not read it, you're not a subscriber, then uh, remember you can sign up for the special price of £4 per month, under £4 per month, at theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Um, it's the second time I've spoken to Kieran um, to do a, a full-on interview. I, I really enjoy it because of how clear he is and you, you get quite a good grasp of what he's trying to achieve and I think that generally has come across in Norwich's recruitment too I would say obviously we're aware of what happened in the Premier League season but um, yeah I mean Brexit certainly stops Norwich signing someone like Emi Buendia I had tweets saying it doesn't affect that because he's Argentinian not European and that just misses the point by uh, just a thousand miles so um, uh, read the piece but um, uh, yeah effectively Daniel Farker couldn't have joined Norwich as manager um, and I would would guess Ismail uh, Valerian Ismail couldn't have become um, Barnsley manager either I would have thought it's very difficult with coaches to get them uh, to get the necessary permits I think to come and work um, without uh, vast experience or, or real pedigree because the idea of, of everything that's happened around football and Brexit is that um, you know you should be looking to internal um, UK candidates to fill UK roles that's kind of what everyone voted for or whoever voted for did vote for so uh, so that's where it is so yeah and between that and then not being able to get players like Emi Buendia in it does um, kind of fundamentally affect where Norwich are I mean what did you make of what Kieran Scott had to had to say about all that I thought it was um, hugely interesting and engrossing engaging piece and um, little bits that I didn't know I mean I didn't know that um, you know, he, he looks at the, the coaching scene elsewhere and and says that clubs have been laying off swathes of, of coaches, uh, sorry, scouting scene, and, he, and they've been laying off swathes of scouting because the, there's no point in having someone in Scandinavia anymore if you're a, if you're a League Two club, for instance, um, or League One, um, because you just won't be able to sign anyone. Um, but that, he wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any cull at Norwich because... There's already been one. Now, I didn't know that, that he sort of sorted it out and, and has fewer people working more cleverly is, is, is the plan. So I was, I was very encouraged. And I think, that, um, I think that there's going to be a profound impact. Your piece confirmed that to me throughout the game. I mean, I think one of the things that's happened with you know, the increasing recruitment of um, the odd Emmy, but also, you know, any... any but, Anyone who kicked a ball in Europe would have been on anywhere in Europe would have been on people's spreadsheets. So there was there, were, there weren't very many people missed. The result was that the people who in previous generations would have made a living somewhere in the EFL structure have, haven't been and, and have been playing non-league football. And, and the and, and the football at that level is immensely better than it used to be. So so much better. Um, and I suspect there will be um, we'll go back to a system where. Um, people will be British 
English UK people will find it easier to to get into EFL teams, and and um, you know you, there will be some people who think that's a good thing. But I think the standard of football played in this country will will deteriorate throughout the throughout the pyramid. It's it's going yeah. to be. So it's because it's interesting how there'll be fewer targets and they are going to cost more money as well. And I think um, even Kieran is kind of saying, look, maybe just focus attention in a few more, uh, a few, a few fewer eggs, but maybe mm. costing slightly more. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about Brexit because it is pretty complicated. But the one thing I would say is that it feels like it's it's only to the detriment of English football that we're not going to be able to to bring in um, and and bring in players from and coaches from abroad who diversify and add so much to the English game. You know, if you think about Daniel Farker as, as the obvious example of that, somebody who's brought a kind of way of playing and a culture that is really unique to Norwich in its history. If you think that that wouldn't have been allowed and we wouldn't have been allowed to sign a number of the players that we, we have signed and have been so kind of important to us during the last, during the last few seasons, it's, it's really quite sad. But I think, I think um, the piece with Kieran Scott, Michael, excellent piece, um, rare to get that kind of insight and depth of insight from somebody working in recruitment. The stuff that um, really kind of intrigued me was the in vogue kind of view of modern scouting is that it's all about data and it's all about number crunching and kind of humans are not really that important anymore. And I think, you know, my current job at the moment, a big, a big topic that I cover um, in, in my current role is how technology and, and humans kind of are coexisting and how, and how humans might be taken out by technology in, in terms of the workforce. But I think if you look at scouting, some of the lines that Kieran Scott came out with, Timu Puki, they noticed that he gets an extra two yards of space. So he, he would therefore be able to gain extra space in the championship and, and, and make a big difference. That's something the, the human eye could, could have seen. That's not something that has emerged from numbers. Xavi Kintia being available because Villarreal had three left back, other left backs on their books. It's those kind of things. And I think you referred to it in the piece, Michael, as kind of smart recruitment. Smart recruitment isn't just the, the money ball route that is obviously very good and very successful. It's kind of a, 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 that combination of human and data crunching with, with, the human, with the human element of it still vitally important in my view. It's interesting as well because you, you look at defenders and there's an ongoing conversation about how it's quite hard to actually an, have analytics that tell you how good a defender is. And we've had yep. that discussion in terms of actually assessing people's performance. So that works, of course, in recruitment uh, uh, too. Um, there are obviously also models that um, that do work for flagging up some talents because I know that um, maybe my sensible transfers piece from a week or two back wasn't too far off the mark in a couple of areas. So that's good to know as well. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I found it quite interesting as well that Kieran spoke about the Premier League experience because I know that you know, you look at Norwich's recruitment, Ben, and you think, oh, it's great and everything. And, and then you do look at when they went up and it just didn't hit the mark at all. And uh, obviously he's going to say that they've learned lessons and things that you want them to be that bullish too. Um, but then likewise, some of those lessons sort of carried through into preparing for this season as, as well. And you do look at the squad and you'd, you'd say it's in a much better position than it was 18 months ago, say. Yeah, exactly. Recruitment isn't an exact science, obviously. Um, think things are going to go wrong. And I think they, you know, that happened for Norwich in kind of one transfer window last last season, really. But yeah, lessons were learned, and actually, I think um, he said in the piece that Chemi Poheta, obviously, was signed quite early, a really um, 
um, you know, a piece of recruitment that happened really quickly, but they also had, I think, two or three other options if, if that transfer didn't come through. You got the sense that that was also the case for a number of the transfers that Norwich made early in the transfer window. So, yeah, uh, the evidence is there to, to, to show that they did learn from it, from the, from the, the transfer window just gone. Um, it, but yeah, their, their mistakes, I'm sure, will be made, will be made in, in the future. But um, reading that piece, it's clear that there's a defined, as, as with everything at Norwich City Football Club at the moment, there, there appears to be a defined strategy, a, a clear kind of road forward. And, you know, mistakes will happen. But uh, I'm certainly positive about the way they're approaching recruitment. I think, I think one of the things that they learn is what is required from the Premier League. You know, we must we've got to understand that uh, uh, our sporting director had, uh, and our coach had no experience of the Premier League. Um, and I think one of the decisions they made is is that we need a we need a physicality. Uh, um, uh, I don't you know I don't mean big strong bloke up front, but but um, athleticism in the in the middle. Now obviously we we have players. Who, who can do that? But I think, you know, prime example is, is Oliver Skip um, realizing that that role, one of the one of the holding roles in front of the in front of the four in the four two three one, were, that we need needed more athleticism there. And I, it, strangely enough, I don't I don't think Skip has probably got that enough for the Premier League. But he but he added to what you know he's better than what we had in that in that position. Um, you know, we can we can think of the people we love who play in that role, but you know, uh, um, and Teddy being one of them, um, uh, Tommy Tribal being being the other, and, and Skip is an upgrade on that. And I think that the you know we did this is this is going to be very trite, but we didn't sign any short players in the in the last window, <laughs> and, and that's a thing. That is a thing. Um, if you look at you look at Premier League sides generally, they they have uh, even those teams who play a very possession-based football or or, or um, heavy metal clop-eye football, they have athletes, and that is something I don't think. I don't think that I think that probably surprised um, surprised in the right word. I think the I think the absence of it within our squad was was drummed home by what happened in the Premier League. I think as well, Michael. It's it's mentality as well as physicality. I think one of the great successes of this season is how quickly we managed to escape from the gloom of the end of last season. And I think you have to kind of factor in the recruitment there as well. Ben Gibson, has, somebody who Daniel Farker speaks about a lot, is having a really positive impact on the group. Even Jordan Hugel, who really hasn't had an impact on the pitch, but somebody in the changing room, who, who Daniel Farker has mentioned a couple of times, of having a really kind of levelling impact on the squad. I think the psychology of that is really interesting. And my understanding is that Stuart also, you know, talked to the media and said, look, there's got to be, there's going to be inquests, but there comes a moment when we have to look forward and, and try and be positive. I mean, when, one of the first things that he did, um, you know, at, at the training ground was to say, we, we, we can't have any negatives. You can't come in and say, this, this is going back three seasons now, you can't come in and say, I've had a bloody bad drive into work and nothing now that seems completely trite but it was it was a, a conscious decision and and i think you know one of the things that weber did and um, with the help of others was to look at the likely impact of that of the crushing way that we left the premier league the the, the utterly deflating depressing way we left the premier league and and said right how do we deal with that and i don't know all the answers to that and he in 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 pieces he's done, he, when, when asked what went wrong, he says, well, I don't know. I think they do know what went wrong in the Premier League. And, and I think that, um, that they're setting about dealing with that for next time. But, but I don't underestimate the scale of the achievement of, of bouncing back from the way we went out, you know, because the fact that we're, we're looking at the three relegated teams perhaps pressing for promotion makes, makes our case of saying, well, that's the natural of order, order of things. It isn't. The natural order of things is that, is that um, the form you leave last season is often carried over into, into the next season. And, and one team out of the relegated three usually keeps on falling. And, and uh, it, it ain't us this time, thank goodness. Especially with a minimal break, um, no yeah. real pre-season and the same manager and coaching staff, all of them. It's um, yeah, remarkable. Um, 
the only thing just to have to wrap up the Kieran Scott stuff is um, he did mention briefly about how January transfer window is, is more of a reactionary than a proactive window, which brings us on nicely um, to Michael McGovern's injury, which is, of course, terrible news for him. We wish him all um, the best of recoveries. He is unlikely to play probably until the last few weeks of the season, if at all, or be available. He is out of contract in the summer, which I'm sure is a conversation people are well aware of. Um, Norwich are going to be looking for goalkeeping backup options, although you know that's a difficult one to be honest at the moment for the rest of the season Daniel Barden did a, a very decent job coming in I don't know if he's quite ready for regular first team backing up at the moment but uh, he did a very good job against QPR when he did come in his kicking was very good by the way um, so that's obviously one issue that Norwich are trying to resolve this window another as I've I think I've said before is left back um, it's not a certainty they'll bring someone in but it's certainly the key position and <clears throat> maybe following in and the, the model of how they recruited someone like uh, Javi Kintia who was of course back in the squad now um I what do you think that means what do you think that means to concede michael i don't know it's really interesting so they do have an obligation to buy him if they go up um, but it needs him to be involved to a certain amount um which might be relatively tricky to achieve even now given how many games he's missed in the first half of the season i think there's a little bit of worry that his body might not be able to cope with the physical demands of what norwich need from him because that's sort of what they've seen this first half of the season but you know, we've got another few months to, to prove that that's not the case so um, it's I really think I really think that if we could if we could get him in and, and fit and functioning it would be a it would be a big uh, plus because um, Sorensen Sorensen looks a, a gorgeously natural calm footballer um, but that thing that he does and he only does it when he's in the final third of turning back onto his, onto his right foot, but he doesn't want to cross left-footed. And although that creates space for someone to go beyond him, so it's not always, it's always, not always a negative, you know, what, what Zavi was, uh, you know, Zavi crosses very well and takes corners very well. And, and it is a more natural thing for the, for the left fullback to keep going rather than to turn inside. And I, and I think that would, that would be a major plus if we were able to add it to our, to our forward play. Well, I know, me, Michael, the, oh, sorry, Michael, I'll keep interrupting you. But yeah. I was going to mention Jamal Lewis because he's, he, he really isn't doing that, very, that well at Newcastle. Certainly, you know, social media is, is, is only a... Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we can't not, completely trust social media as a, as a tool for measuring the quality of a player's performances. But... Um, Definitely. Certainly not. Um, certainly not ripping up at St James's Park. So, whereas Ben Godfrey's absolutely flying. They love him at Everton, and he's playing um, left back. He's playing, left, playing back. left back. Yeah, no, not <laughs> defensive midfield yet, though. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, J- Jamal would would cut back on his right, I suppose, sometimes as well. But as you said, the the, the crossing ability of Javi um, is something that um, would be nice to see. Uh, I've not. I don't even think Jamal played actually, did he on, on at the weekend? I think no. so. Um, he's out of the picture. He's out of the picture in Newcastle at the moment. Oh, Jamal. As long as it's all right, that's the most important thing. Um, yeah. what it, wasn't, it wasn't a good fit, was it? It wasn't a good fit for him to go to Newcastle in, in, you know, with, with that manager and their system. It was whoever offered the money, wasn't it? And I think um, in terms of that 15 million quid, I think that was, at that point in the seat of, of oh, everything, I think it was absolutely vital. So, uh, so yeah, at that point, a player is, is, is shipped on regardless. So that, that, I, don't mean, that, I don't mean from a Norwich point of view. I meant from Jamal's point of view, it's a, it's a poor choice. Jamal's agent has made a poor choice of club. There we go. Um, I was going to say, although you both interrupted me, so it t- t- take me a while to get to this point. Um, Mick, it was a great segue into us predicting um, the Coventry lineup because this is the period where we usually, uh, the section where we usually say, this is just like fantasy football. Um, but actually, the schedule's not so bad at the moment. So you probably not, you know, you will all get to listen to this podcast before Norwich play again, which hasn't been the case for about. Six, three months so um, all I was going to say is maybe we could predict what the team Norwich will play against Coventry or what you would play I'd get Daniel Barden in goal for some 90 minutes because yeah. he might be the main backup option you'd have Tim in would you? Yeah purely because he hasn't played much recently I wouldn't pick Tim but I, I felt he was I thought you know he wasn't, he wasn't following through with his kicks he was kicking flat and that suggests someone who's still nursing a hammy or something and, and so I, I would not pick him for that reason get, be sure that he's fit for the next time it's not, it's not as if he lacks match experience or anything so and I, w- I, would, I would stick the kid in because at the moment he's first choice and, we, and he needs some game time 
dick the kid in like that. Um, John, John McCracken. John McCracken's probably desperate for some action and to get on a bench as well. So um, there's another one. Um, Xavi Cantilla starts left back. Obviously, he needs some games. Yes, um, I mean, and, Andrew Omar Bamadeli you could throw in. Do we, do we actually want Norwich to win this game? Well, I, I was going to predict as part of this section that we will lose this match, actually. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> is, that, I mean, is that all right? And I don't know whether... I don't know whether because I feel like we want to lose. Oh, look, and you, you never want to lose a game of football. Um, yes. But <laughs> that classic cliche. Um, but um, but. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't feel particularly um, passionate about uh, running the FA Cup at this stage. Um, Michael, <laughs> I can tell by your facial expression that you don't. This, I can hear the air just being expelled from your lungs as in I've hit the mic. It's all gone. It's all, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. I understand that situation entirely. Um, well, Zimbo's playing, right? Zimbo. You'd think so, which probably factored into him not playing on um, last weekend, maybe, possibly. Although I would start Ben Gibson and, and Hanley as, as my pairing. Um, yeah, Kieran Dow, probably in need of a start. Jordan yeah. Hugill, need of a start. You don't yeah. need to start Pookie in this one, do you? Josh um, Martin. Josh Martin, Poheta yeah. is now coming back, so he's probably yeah. fine. I think there was a suggestion Lucas Rupp might be around as well. So um, all that sort of stuff. So no Emmy? Can we no Emmy starting? Yeah, well, he's, not very, he's not a very good footballer anyway, is he? Like, that'll, no. send, <laughs> that'll send Twitter and, and in yeah. particular the Facebook fans page. We'll, we'll he just won't be cup-tied. Amazing. It's another 250,000 on his uh, asking price at least. Yeah. Um, uh, he's not on a, He's not on any appearance landmarks or anything like it's that. It's a difficult balance, isn't it? The cup games for for a team trying to get out of the championship or indeed staying in the Premier League because because that my highlight of of last season emotionally and and in terms of what I got out of the experience was probably being in the crowd at Tottenham in the in the FA Cup, you know, and and um. And in particular, walking back and listening, walking back to my car two miles away and listening to Spurs fans. That was a joy. It was a joy. Um, so the FA Cup can, can give you those moments. Um, but, but it, you know, let's, let's, let's put it this way. If we played Timmy Crawl and his hammy went, or if, if Timu played and, and something went, we would, just, we would know that was the wrong decision. So I think yeah. that, that answers the debate, doesn't it? And they've got a big enough squad, I would say, to carry off yeah. um, carry off plenty of changes that should still yeah. compete in the game. Um, Who's playing right back? A few more kids in. Mm. Yeah, a few more kids. Yeah, right back's an interesting one. Uh, yes. I, I, um, I don't. I don't. Th- but Bali Mumba's not too far off. I don't think. No, I don't think he's okay. a million miles. Whether he's and Sam Byram is back running, but I think everyone is so. I mean, he wouldn't be fit enough for the game anyway, but everyone's just really cautious about him not having another setback and not putting pressure on him. So I, mean, I don't think, but I don't know, maybe maybe Bailey might be around. Uh, yeah, Max Max is probably going to start. <laughs> Why not? Get another 7 out of 10, Max. Turn, turn it over. Then you're cup-tied. Oh, dear. Uh, but that won't affect a move to Barcelona this window, so it should be all right. Um, I think in that uh, element, I think we've covered that off pretty well, haven't we? Uh, I did see someone mention about it would be good if Norwich gets some Premier League opponents to compete against later in the Cup, so they should try and stay in it to gauge themselves. But, I mean, you know, Norwich knocked Spurs out and beat Burnley at Burnley last season, and that really didn't count for anything. (laughs) Yeah, and the the Premier League teams will rest players as well. Wow. So there we are. We can't wait for the FA Cup to be back this season. It's going to be so exciting. Um, But I think uh, that is it for uh, this week's On The Ball. We will be with you uh, all season long. So make sure you subscribe via your usual podcast player of choice. Uh, The podcast is available free for everyone on your usual player and ad-free to subscribers of The Athletic via our app. If you like what we're doing, leave a review and a rating where you can. Please spread the word of our efforts across the Norwich City world and if you'd like to get in touch ask a question or propose a topic for discussion sling me a direct message on Twitter which is at Michael J Bailey in the meantime a big thank you to our guests they were Ben thank you so much Ben thanks Michael Mick what a wonderful debut such a pleasure to have you on thank you thank you Uh, good to have a good old referee chat as well Uh, we'll be back uh, next week for another On The Ball a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic until then never mind the danger And
and we're clear. Although we're not really clear because, of course, this is Wits End. Ben, did you enjoy that podcast? I did, yeah. Good chat. I mean, it's meant to be half an hour and I think we are well, well over that, Michael. Such such a fail. The editors are going to be... I'm going to get a message on Tuesday. Yeah, it's great, but come on, man. Control your guests. Uh, Mick, do you enjoy it? Yeah, sorry for... I'm not... I'm it's all never, your fault. I never talk at the time. I'm, I always, I always over talk. The broadcast I did was punctuated by producers behind glass going. <laughs> I, thought, I, I, hope I hope the producers will give us some leeway, Michael, because you know, no pod for three weeks. We've got a lot to catch up on, lots to talk about in January. I, I always say this: if 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 we were just not saying anything interesting, I'd soon start talking over people. And you, you're that, a bit like you two did with me, kept interrupting me. <laughs> but, um, no, it was top class, so we kept it going most definitely. And I remember from having Mick on the uh, Pinkin show that I used to do on Mustard TV and at the Pinkin. Uh, we had you on one week, and, and it was obviously there to help promote your book and talk about other things. But when I had Kiernan in my ear when you were promoting your book, and you were going for it for about ten minutes, and Kiernan was like, "Yeah, you go." you get this out you go get this plug in it was <laughs> so there you go uh, tales from the city go and buy the book there you go i've done it for you this time Mick. that's good um so um yes welcome to wit's end the first wit's end of 2021 no one's canned it yet much like the pod so that's good um welcome all you twitterkers out there if any of you have stumbled across this for the first time a bit like mick who's sort of looking around wondering what else going on listen to on the ball podcast number 42 which went live on september the 8th it's all explained there you can email us directly in this segment the email address is twitter curs twitter k-e-r-s at icloud.com or use the hashtag twitterkers on twitter just don't say that it's for wit's end we keep it all secret but definitely say what you want to and sling in the hashtag uh, so this week um the outstanding twitterkers.co.uk an independently set up website that just makes me smile every time i see it it's essential viewing for all twitterkers uh, the countdown clock since norwich's last defeat that has been updated sadly since we were last on because norwich lost at watford um but uh, we'll keep watching that one tick on um and that Watford one defeat was a bit annoying, to be honest, but then uh, they lost at Swansea. So there we go. Um, yeah, twitterkers.co.uk, give that a look. Um, and they've put a hyperlink in on the Harry Kane um, nod as well, which I did actually request. So whoever's editing the website, they are keeping it up to date with our requests, which mean, it means if anyone wants to request anything on the website, uh, let us know and, well, out and they'll do it. I've got an important interjection here, Michael. Okay. So on a, on a previous pod, I, I, I gave a testimonial for the website purely to get my name on the homepage. Oh, is in the left hand column. It is yeah. there, but oh. it, the name underneath it is Daniel Brigham. <laughs> Can you believe it? Well, that needs updates. So, there we go. Well, Dan, just, that just, quote has been attributed incorrectly to can, Dan Brigham. Can you say the quote again? Just so that we know it's... Yeah, let me just... You looked uh, and said it twice, even if Dan did say it once. This, this Twitterkers website is one of the finest websites you can possibly visit online. So make sure you go there. <laughs> Dan Brigham. Said like a digital marketeer. Um, uh, hashtag highlights, uh, hashtag Twitterkers. Um, the one I wanted to flag up was Stephen Pass saying, how many assists would Emmy have this season if Grant Hanley didn't have a head the shape of a 50 pence piece? Um, I mean, it has now become a thing from me, Nick, that um, there is one set piece every game that Grant Hanley heads wide. <laughs> oh, followed, yeah. followed, followed by a camera shot of him angrily just charging back to his own penalty yeah. area, looking really cross. He's always running. <laughs> every time. Yeah. This is true. Yeah, I mean, they, and they must be, they must be, you know, they must be working on this on uh, on the training ground to try and to, to for him to try and improve that. I mean, it's a, uh, it is frustrating. I, I, I'd rather look at Grant Hanley's head. Uh, at the other end and where he, he is winning so many first ball I don't know the stats but so many of the set pieces which we use where we used to hold our breath he, he wins the first ball there, there's been a redeployment back there and, and he and uh, first ball he attacks the first ball and, and wins most of them so yeah but it would be nice if he if he got one he, of course he's a great provider so we all remember the great Timmy Close goal was, was down to a Hanley cross from a wasn't it yeah, against, oh, against, against the, the team we won't mention oh okay you've mentioned them oh yeah, yeah so, so yeah. i love how um i love how norwich's physio spent three or four minutes putting a bandage around grant hanley's head yeah. barnsley and then he just whipped it off within a couple of minutes yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. fantastic. and my wife and my wife said 
there's nothing wrong with his head. Look, look, look. You know, <laughs> Let there. me put this bandage on. I mean, he didn't have anything on his head when he, when he left the ground on, on Saturday either. So it wasn't like he then got a special dressing afterwards or anything. <laughs> um, the, other, the other one I wanted to uh, flag up, I got a quiz on. So I always come up with an emoji um, for the team Norwich are playing. And I got quizzed on why, against Barnsley, I'd picked a hot dog. Um, which uh, so convolutedly, a I couldn't find one of the you know dog per se, not a proper dog. Um, so I went well, Tyke's dog, uh, they're on form, so hot dog. So that was okay. it. And then um, Jr. decided that that was worthy of Twitter. So I've mentioned it for you, JD, because that was a uh, uh, Jr. Because that was what um, I took that as a. I thought I was quite happy with that one, but you know I didn't want to look or sound too pleased with myself. Um, now, uh, Ollie, Ollie emailed in, if you listened to the uh, previous episode with Hux, the one just before Christmas, um, I mentioned there that um, I, had, uh, I had my Chillax episode with Cody McDonald and, uh, and Grant Holt back in the day. Um, now, I did, have some, I, did ha- I did find the audio of um, Paul. You know what? We've gone over so long now. I think I might play it next week. So don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, it, it, audio of Paul Lambert's... I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug it though. Audio of Paul Lambert in a press conference um, talking about me saying chillax at some oh. point. And then, and then I ended up promising to write him a song. I, oh. I still don't really understand how that will happen, but that did really all happen. Uh, so next week's Wits End, you can have that audio. And um, fair play uh, to the Eds uh, before Christmas because they did put in a clip of the... Hux interview that he did when he went over to the US that went viral about how he was like the best player ever to play football ever. Um, um, so they got that in and I, I feel like watching that video again. So I am going to share that on Twitter this week. I, I, remember, I remember that moment. So I'll, I'll have a look at that. Yeah. Oh, it's just the, the best interview. And I love that he brought that up. <laughs> was um, that as popular as the 10 minute clip of Harry Kane's interview while he was a Norwich player conducted by Jim Van Wyk, AKA Wolf from Gladiator's brother? <laughs> uh, more popular, I would say. But um, I, I do like I do like Harry Kane sort of politely suggesting he might like to play in the Premier League sometime. No, I mean, um, any other business we're up to? Any other business? We will still use this pin, bit pun if he lose if he leaves the club, but he's not ever. So there we go. Um, he's never ever leaving. Uh, so the, the, the chillax and the US interview were part of the most awkward interview experience that we'd had. Ben, can you think of what your most Awkward interview experience was maybe? yes, absolutely. Jez Moxie Mick after this, you too, Mick. Jez Moxie on the balcony on the balcony of one of the balconies in Carrow Road. Um, what a video! In the, after a defeat to Reading, I think, um, and a couple of weeks before he left Norwich City Football Club. That was. Uh, I don't want to go into the details because that was um, <laughs> that information should remain <laughs> tightly concealed. But um, yeah, that that certainly for me in my time at the club was the most awkward interview I've conducted. That, um, that was with the sort of predisposed questions, wasn't it? Put, put to him that he then answered. That's right. Was it? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if that's I'm still not, on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal anymore. I mean, it's, it's certainly still available to watch. YouTube. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll make sure I share that. All I will yeah. say is there's just a couple of points where these questions are being asked or they're not, because I think it's on a, like a tile. You don't, don't have to react to this. It's just me talking. Oh no, it. my voice was in it. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, you know, he, he's literally looking to the sky when the question's being asked. Like, <laughs> Why? What is the point? What? what, what? It doesn't even... You know, and then he answers. In well, no, that's the thing. It, like, he was the only person who wanted to do that. Yeah. No one <laughs> else wanted to do it. And yet he didn't look like it. It's amazing. What a balancing act. Uh, Mick? Well, most of my... All of my interviews were, were written. So you can, you know, you can... You don't have to... Um, um, the bit where, where you've asked a stupid question isn't shown, but I had some, <laughs> some very, very famous people have told me to F off during interviews. Um, Kenny Dalgleish told me to F off, and I said, I'm not asking that question on, on, on my own behalf. I'm asking for readers of the Daily Telegraph. He said, well, they can F off as well. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I can think of many times when uh, I squirmed. I don't think I made people squirm all, all, all that often, um, because when you're writing, you know, when you're writing, you can just sort of nod along you haven't got to I, I think incidentally that um the great in the great interviews for radio are, are uh, people who um take the conversation in a, in a, in a way that neither they nor the subject nor the listener expected because the answer took it that way and and i uh, can think of 
think of some great examples like that. And of course, if you if you're trying to do a specific, if you're trying to get an intro for a football report, perhaps that, that isn't the way the interview. You, you need them to talk about what you need them to talk about. So, yeah, I, I, this is completely off the wall. But I think one of the greatest interviews has just changed job, and that's Jane Garvey, who's left Woman's Hour. And and there's a crazy thing to say, but but um, she used to empathise so do a lot of prep and empathise with um, with a subject and and um, then the question would spark something with the interview and it go off in the wrong direction. Never mentioned football, of course, and this, irrelevant to this to this podcast. But um, absolute masterclass as an interviewer. Still a still a skill that we uh, we need, and hopefully one day I'll learn it. Um, I think <laughs> on that uh, element. I think we'll wrap up. What a pleasure okay. that was. Um, thanks again, Mick. Really enjoyed it. Will we, uh, good it? Can we do it again at some point? There was a, yeah, there was a point when Sarah, I had to wait to Sarah because she was signaling. I think she's gone out for a walk. So win-win, I've missed the day's exercise and got to talk to you guys. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, look after yourself. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Um, ben, keep well. Thank you as always. Pleasure as always, Michael. Thank you. Take care, chaps. Thanks everyone who's listening and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.